Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you had a good weekend. Did you celebrate the 4th over the weekend, or are you waiting till Wednesday? Well, maybe you're going to do both. We'll see what the weather's going to be like this week, as we'll check in with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson in a bit. Also joining us today, Kevin Skunas, president of the National Corn Growers Association. His thoughts on the Farm Bill passage in the Senate last week, and of course, all the, the trade news. Steve Nicholson with Rabo Research will join us to talk about Friday's USDA numbers and just look at the markets in general moving forward. But right now, we start things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. And Sarah, thanks for joining us. Before we take a look at the week ahead, let's look back at last week and getting that uh, Senate Farm Bill passed. That was a that was a big step, and now it's on to the conference committee. Yes, Mike, uh, and good morning. It was a terrific victory for the leaders of the Senate Ag Committee who have marched in lockstep to really make this happen in a strong bipartisan fashion. It's been a long time since we've seen such a wide majority, 86 to 11 for passage of that vote in the Senate. And there were several uh, of those 11, there were uh, several Republicans who couldn't see their way to vote for the bill, but the rest of the vote was very bipartisan. And I think one of the most interesting things for me, Mike, was just the absence of some of the amendments that we really had thought, and even Chairman Roberts had told us, were going to take place, and especially the one on crop insurance when Mr. Durbin decided not to make some of his fellow Democrats take a very tough vote on crop insurance going into their election cycle, I think was uh, very, very telling for uh, the need to have a bipartisan farm bill and, and not upset his fellow Democrats. Looking ahead to the conference committee, I find two storylines here very interesting. Uh, of course, the Senate not taking up the the big reforms in SNAP that the House did, so they've got to work that out. And then, of course, the Senate did include Senator Grassley's payment limit language, which the House has stayed away from. So it will be interesting to see how they work through those. Well, yes, and as I mentioned last week, I mean, it's... Uh, it's always difficult in conference for Senator Grassley because he's got so many other folks who are willing to not only keep the current payment limitations, but in the House version, as you know, Mike, they've expanded on those so that nieces and nephews and more folks can become eligible. Uh, Senator Grassley got uh, his language included in the manager's amendment that was included in the bill to not only tighten the definition of farm management so that there can only be one other non-farm manager who could receive 125000 a year. Uh, it also tightened up the definition. And, and then they also included language on the Senate side to reduce the income eligibility for payments from 900000 to 700000 So I do think that there's going to be this pressure back and forth, but you might have seen in our coverage where we asked uh, Chairman Roberts whether or not he would go to bat in conference for Mr. Grassley provisions, and he was noncommittal on whether or not that would happen. Yeah, and that says a lot right there. Now, last Friday, I talked with uh, Colin Peterson, ranking member of the House Ag Committee. He said he wants to be helpful in the conference committee. He says if they kind of go more towards the Senate uh, version, that he can deliver a lot of Democratic votes. But he said he still had not talked with uh, Chairman Conaway, nor had their staffs talked to each other. And he said that's not a real good start to things, although he thinks it could be done by the August recess if all comes together. 
That is amazing for the amount of time that the two who have been working together for a long, long time aren't speaking. And uh, I, it doesn't bode well for how things are going to turn out in terms of some of the negotiations. But I think for the most part, you know, Mike, the, both of these bills aren't revolutionary. They're really uh, remarkable for their evolution of the last farm bill. And so they've got some of these really tough things that they're going to be talking about on payment limits, and uh, there's going to be some differences on a few other provisions. Uh, the SNAP one, I think, will be the biggest hurdle for everybody because there is no appetite for trying to have stricter requirements on SNAP in the Senate at all. We're talking with Sarah Wyant from AgriPulse. Well, Sarah, this week the attention really is on tariffs. Yes. And, you know, it's, uh, I wake up in the morning and you wonder what is going to be the next shoe to drop after the Canadians uh, were uh, announcing all of their tariffs in Leamington, the catch-up capital of Canada, uh, to impose $12.6 billion in tariffs. Now we've got China uh, ramping up for another $34 billion in tariffs on Friday. I understand the European Union is also prepping for another $300 billion in tariffs. It makes you wonder where it's all going to end. Yeah, and then you have the presidential election results in Mexico. You, it makes you wonder about NAFTA. And, of course, President Trump saying he just soon wait now till after the, uh, the midterm elections in November. Yes, I heard he spoke about that on Fox, and I don't know why there's an additional interest in the delay right now, because it seems like Obrador, the new uh, president of Mexico, of course, he won't take office for another few months, but he uh, is open to having these discussions, and he seems to be somewhat of a populist uh, who wants to fight corruption and have better relations with the U.S., so it does seem like they could get all the details perhaps agreed to before the midterm and maybe sign something after that. Uh, I do think that perhaps the U.S. will work on a bilateral that uh, gets everything ready on the Mexican side and then use that to pressure the Canadians to see if they can bring NAFTA back together. Meanwhile, Secretary Purdue continues to go around the country assuring uh, farmers that uh, the administration is going to take care of them in light of all these uh, tariffs and trade disruptions. Are you getting any details of how they plan to do that? I ask that question almost every day, Mike, and I have no answers other than I know they have authority. I know that they can use CCC funds. How they would compensate farmers is still a very big unknown. He's making it very clear that he wants to compensate farmers and that this is a strong negotiating tactic for the administration. But would they be payments based on the amount of loss? Would they be payments based on uh, some sort of international calculation? I mean, we're really uncertain on that, and no one wants to talk about it within produced uh, staff right now. So they're keeping it very tight-lipped. I think farmers are just being incredibly uh, uh, helpful in terms of trying to say that this is a long game and we want to make sure that we fight back against some of these unfair trade practices. But as you know, there's a lot of folks who are already hurting. There's tremendous losses in the marketplace right now. So it's a very, very uncertain situation. And you have to wonder how that all would fly with the WTO. Of course, the president is talking about to maybe just 
pulling out of the WTO, or he doesn't seem to worry too much about the WTO rules. No, no, I don't think that's a big concern. But depending on how we would make the payments to compensate farmers, we could be subject to some WTO violations. So, uh, again, it just kind of mucks up the works. And uh, if you could try to put out your crystal ball right now and tell me what this is going to look like five months from now, I'd, I'd really be interested in hearing that, Mike. Yeah, no one seems to have a real good crystal ball on some of these things, that's for sure. We all kind of just uh, wait and see how it's going to play out and uh, kind of, in the meantime, wonder how it's going to play out with the, the strategy that the administration's using. Well, Sarah, thanks a lot. We'll be watching your reporting, you and your great team at AgriPulse. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyatt, editor publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Coming up next, here we are into July. We'll check weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. 
For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, welcome back. We went into the month of July with uh, plenty of heat, humidity, and in some places, rain. What's ahead this first week of July? Let's check in with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thanks for joining us. What do we see ahead? Yes, good morning, Mike. Uh, This week is going to be kind of seasonal uh, for much of the uh, central part of the country. Uh, It still is going to be hot in the far southern plains, and uh, that pattern doesn't really show any uh, sign of changing. But um, the the uh, pullback in hotter conditions and then uh, following the rainfall that especially in the western and northern Corn Belt we saw during the weekend is going to mean a pretty decent start to the month of July in general. Uh, there still is that uh, wet weather problem in uh, that area from central Iowa through southern Minnesota and then into eastern Nebraska and uh, eastern South Dakota. But maybe uh, this uh, trend this week uh, this week's pattern is going to allow for a little bit of uh, some drier conditions to actually benefit there. Uh, that dry pocket of the Corn Belt in northern Missouri, southern Iowa, western Illinois uh, still does not have much of a change. Uh, there was very little rainfall in that uh, in that area during the past week, even though not that far away there were, you know, just uh, uh, terrific rains with uh, very deadly flash flooding that we heard about. We've had these kind of heat domes settle in on parts of the country. What's up with that, and are we going to see more of that? Well, actually, the the uh, the hot weather, the the Upper Ridge uh, situation from last week has really shown a uh, tendency to kind of tail off here first part of this week over most of the interior of the country. Uh, there still is is that uh, heat pattern, you know, out in the northeast. But as far as the interior of the uh, country is concerned, uh, it's kind of gone away, and uh, we're going to see it reforming probably in about a week over the uh, Four Corners area of the southwest. They're in uh, southwest Colorado, southeast Utah, and so forth, and then maybe expand uh, back eastward into uh, the south-central plains and then into the uh, south-central part of the Midwest, during next week but you know this uh this upper air feature has not shown a a whole lot of staying power in any one area and i think that um that this is kind of suggestive that there's not going to be a real long-lasting period of extreme heat uh just settle in and uh and cause that kind of heat stress as we go into the uh, first half of the month anyway well that's good news um oh yeah that, uh, that would be a welcome indeed uh, through a critical uh, period here for, for the crop. So uh, last week we were talking about are we starting an El Nino or not. What's the latest on that? Uh, the Pacific is still just kind of waffling around neutral, Mike, and uh, the analysis on these ocean temperatures uh, is still going along with the idea that by, oh, say, uh, October or so that uh, El Nino could be uh, indeed taking place. Uh, I don't think that uh, maybe the track is quite as as um, as far ahead 
as uh, maybe had been thought of here a couple weeks ago. It doesn't look like things are actually uh, continuing along that earlier development type of track. But the, uh, the ocean is still likely to move into an El Nino during the fall uh, season. I think one thing to uh, think about, and, and I'm, I'm just saying this because we're visiting and, uh, and, and there's uh, a very outlying possibility, but one thing to think about um, as, a, as, as a possible, maybe sort of thing that could happen with the way the ocean is trending is that if the, uh, if the indicators, if the conditions move toward an earlier development of El Nino, that could possibly lead to a, a frost date in the upper Midwest that would be either on average in that late September time frame or a little bit earlier, because El Nino is associated with an earlier onset of uh, frost conditions. Uh, that is one of the uh, longer uh, standing features. Now, all of that comes into play because there's a little bit of a lag in, in terms of crop development going on in that part of the country from north-central Iowa through south-central uh, Minnesota and then into eastern South Dakota and northeastern Nebraska because of wetter conditions from this spring all the way through now in uh, almost uh, mid-summer or approaching that. So that is a uh, that is a possible feature that might come into play depending on how crop development goes now here during the month of July and on into August. That is one uh, outlying feature that I'm keeping track of just because of uh, how things have already been, and we'll see if that comes into play. You just wanted to give us something to worry, something else to worry about, right? Well, you know, uh, that's that's <laughs> what this uh, midsummer time frame is all about. You know, let's there think about uh, what could what could be happening later on. Uh, there there has been a little bit of that um, of that comment uh, sort of indicated. And uh, so I'm just putting a, a little bit of a, a detail to it. But I know that there are growers in uh, that part of the country in the uh, upper half, uh, the northern half of the Midwest, who are concerned about uh, the pace of crop development. And so uh, it certainly does come into, uh, into play uh, depending on how things act during July. That's what makes this uh, milder pattern uh, so key in my opinion, uh, to how things are going to play out, because the next couple, three weeks could uh, go a, a long ways toward, uh, you know, helping crops to either uh, sort of get on track or still kind of show this uh, sort of a, a sluggish pace that we've seen in that part of the country. And it's always amazing to see the differences in different parts of the country, different states, or even different parts of a state. Here in central Illinois, our crops are just racing full speed ahead. It's amazing how, how advanced they are for just starting July. Yeah, they're doing very well. I know uh, my colleague Pam Smith uh, is is from uh, Decatur, and or that uh, area in central Illinois, and uh, has uh, shared uh, photos of how uh, things are going. And I, I drove through that part of the country here about uh, now two months ago, and uh, I every year, Mike, and I know you're the same way. Uh, I, I'm I just uh, am am astonished by how things progress from you know those uh, little two and three leaf spikes uh, driving uh, in one particular area, and then you know just barely you know what uh, 50 days later all of a sudden you're looking at uh, eight feet tall 
and uh, tassels out and silks uh, appearing and and everything. Uh, so it's a it's just a, an ongoing uh, annual uh, event that uh, continues to just be something stupendous to witness. Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, let's take our look around the globe. Uh, what do you see internationally? Big feature right now, Mike, is that um, is that in Europe, um, from west to east, they've got some real uh, rainfall extremes happening. In France, uh, the wheat crop uh, prospects have really been dialed back um, relative to projections, say, at the first of the year because uh, there's been some very heavy rain uh, that has caused some real damage to the wheat crop. And, uh, in fact, uh, there's uh, some uh, very heavy rain that's going to be hitting in the U.K. over the next couple days right now. And then farther east, uh, in the Black Sea region, eastern Ukraine through Russia, they have not had any luck in really catching a decent weather pattern over the last uh, six weeks or so. And this week in uh, southern Russia and then all the way over into the Volga River Valley, it's going to be dry and hot again. In fact, temperatures are going to jump into the uh, 100 to 105 category in uh, south-central Russia and then into uh, that, that uh, Volga region over toward Kazakhstan. So the uh, wheat crop prospects are not looking good in the Black Sea for this year. And this is uh, quite a, a turn of events, you know, from the last several years because they have had very good wheat production uh, for about three years running now. So in Europe and the Black Sea, it's pretty tough. And I and back in this country, Mike, I should mention that uh, there is some very heavy rain in northwestern Kansas over the weekend as well. Uh, and uh, we're getting into some wheat harvest issues now in that southern plains uh, region, not only for wheat quality problems, but also the, the growth of uh, those uh, pesky fireweeds has really taken off, and uh, that's starting to uh, concern growers now, right when they're trying to get the wheat cut, so it could kind of drag out harvest. Yeah, we're going to get a report on that on tomorrow's show. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. Have a good Fourth of July. Talk to you next week. Same to you, Mike, and we'll catch you later. Thank you, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, a little bit later on, we're going to talk markets. We'll look back at last week's USDA numbers and talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo Research. But coming up next, the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Skunas, will join us. Lots to talk about with Kevin from Farm Bill to trade tariffs to the RFS. So much going on right now, certainly impacting corn growers. We'll get his thoughts on all that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty 
and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Global stocks starting the quarter with losses as escalating trade rhetoric and downbeat manufacturing readings curbing appetite for risk, according to the Wire Talk. The global markets broadly lower again early Monday after President Trump talked about imposing auto tariffs over the weekend and said a NAFTA agreement is not likely before this year's fall elections. Canada announcing a final list of items targeted for retaliation over U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs, hitting U.S. beef, agricultural chemicals, as well as a large number of steel and aluminum products. The Canadian tariff announcement comes before another major tariff deadline. The U.S. set to impose its initial round of 25% tariffs on $34 billion of Chinese goods on July 6th. And China is pledging to quickly impose retaliatory tariffs on a broad range of products, including U.S. soybeans. An hour into the trading day on Monday, soybean futures 11 to 12 and a fraction lower. U.S. soybeans now facing a possible 25% tariff coming from China on Friday. So far, neither side backing down. Much of the Corn Belt will see temperatures in the 90s this week with warm temperatures at night offering some concern for pollinating corn. We're trending 7 to 8 cents lower in corn futures on this Monday. The wheat futures, Minneapolis Spring Wheat Firm, while Chicago and Kansas City do a little backpedaling to begin the week. Live cattle futures, 15 to $1.07 higher in early activity, $1.25 to $1.55 higher in feeder cattle. Lean hog futures, front two contracts, 30 to $0.50 cents higher. The Dow down 140 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're joined by the president of the National Corn Growers Association, North Dakota's Kevin Skunas. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Too bad that there just aren't many things going on, any big issues to deal with in your year as president of NCGA. Well, good morning, Mike. That, that's for sure. We, we certainly don't have a, a shortage of issues. <laughs> 
but you know we're willing to roll up our sleeves and uh, get working on them. And we've we've done a lot of work, uh, but we still have a lot to do. Yeah, I'm beginning to wonder if your sleeves can roll up far enough to deal with all of these things. Let's let's kind of take them one by one. We'll go back to last week. Farm bill passes in the Senate. Did you like what was in there, or did you have some concerns? Well, you know, overall, it was a uh, it was a good bill that came out. You know, the um, you know the Thune Brown uh, portion of it. You know, on on that, it allows producers the opportunity to change their election from Mark to PLC in the remaining three years. You know, we like that. We obviously like the uh, crop insurance coming through unscathed. You know, that uh, year after year, that's our number one priority for NCGA. And so, you know, that that adds surety to to our growers out there. They can go to their banker and, you know, know that they have a a good crop insurance program, you know, um, backing them up. You know, we also also saw that the uh, the amendment in there for the uh, AGI of the seven hundred thousand that wasn't put in there because we know that if if that was put in there, you know, some of our producers are are quite large, but you know, our large producers are a lot of times are very profitable and, and good producers and if you would you know exclude them from the uh, acreage pool it would make the acreage pool a lot smaller for crop insurance and, and and would hurt the program in the end so we're really glad that didn't make its way through what do you think of senator grassley's language on payment limit restrictions well yeah so that's that's you know just the one that, that i'm just talking about and we yeah. just don't think that you know the the numbers that he's talking about you know, we don't we don't think that would be uh, very good for the program at all. So we're we're really glad that didn't make it through. Yeah, I guess what I mean is, what do you think about the concept um, when he talks about it? You know, uh, making sure that uh, the right people get the the money. Uh, I mean, it's it sounds oh. it sound it sounds good, uh, but as you said, there are concerns in there as well. Yeah, well, you know, so. So we, we know that there are different layers in all in all farm, you know, families and, and in farm operations. And I know that you know that that's what he's trying to limit, so you don't have, you know, an uncle or an aunt. And and you know we we know that that may happen in a in a very very, you know, obscure part. But for the most part, you know, we're we're family operations out here. We have a we have maybe you know two or three generations that are farming in the same farming operation now as as the farms get bigger. And we know that, you know, that has to happen, that everybody that's involved, you know, needs to be able to get a payment. We're talking with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Skunas. Well, let's uh, let's move on to trade and tariffs. I mean, when you start talking a billion here, 30 billion here, 50 billion there, I mean, on these tariffs and retaliation, it's it's starting to add up and get pretty, uh, pretty serious. How concerned are you as we go here into July and some of these uh, tariffs are starting to hit? Well, we're we're very concerned. You know, our our uh, our theory at National Corn is we think that tariffs are bad policy. You know, we know that uh, we just heard Rusty on the markets and and everything's down again today. And we know that there's more than just the tariffs that work in the markets. However, that's one one of the things that our government you know can control, and and we hope at the end of the day what they're doing, you know, works. But you know, it it is very very hard right now when you're looking at uh, the markets down every day. Our net farm income for uh, 2018 is predicted to be you know the lowest since about 2002. You know, we have farmers that are hurting out in the country, and this is one more you know nail 
that's uh, being driven into the into the coffin of some of this, and, and we just think that we we know that China can be a bad actor. We we understand that. However, it we don't believe it's the responsibility of just the U.S. farmer, you know, to take on this whole thing. We think we have uh, good trade partners. We have good allies that should be backing us up instead of coming in behind us uh, and selling their. You know, let's let's say for soybeans. You know, that's the soybean market right now with China. It's it's just really damaging, and and that's one more thing we have to worry about. Yeah, that is an interesting uh, uh, concept here that we keep hearing that you know agriculture farmers need to uh, you know be willing to go through this uh, to for the betterment of the of the trade deals for the country overall, and uh, even though it, they're farmers look to be bearing the brunt of things right now that that's just kind of what uh the country needs from them to get something better uh is that going to is that going to sell much longer in the country you think if this uh, continues down the road it's going you know i i would say you know we could we could be nearing a tipping point someplace and and you know when when the president and and uh, secretary ross you know talk about some of these unfair trade issues, you know, we're talking about steel, aluminum, we're talking about automobiles, and we understand that there's a trade deficit with with China. You know, we buy $500 billion from them. They buy $150 billion worth of products from us, of which that, you know, about $20, $20 billion is egg. And, you know, and we understand that. However, you know, we, we do understand that, you know, agriculture had a large part in, in getting this administration elected, you know we've been standing behind them for a, you know strong for a long time now. But if this keeps going on, I can't imagine that the support will last out in the countryside. It, you know sooner or later, you know farmers are going to have to vote with their checkbook. You know that's a that's a hard statement to make, but it's a reality out in the countryside. You know we have we have notes out there, we have loans, we have you know bills to pay, and we need some better prices for this. Well, I asked a soybean farmer a few days ago, I said, what, what's the tipping point? He says, you start putting a seven in front of soybean prices, that'll probably be it. Well, that, that's for sure. If you, you know, if you, if you do a cash flow and you, and you talk about what yield you'd have to have to make, uh, make seven in front of the soybeans make, you know, you know, there, there are very few parts of the country that can, uh, that can manage those, those yields that it would take for that. And of course, even corn, soybeans, it's the same. You know, the cure for low prices is, you know, is high yield. But, you know, that just makes the problem worse when we have high yield. It, it, it helps in the short term, you know, to be able to have more cash flow. But when we're talking about, you know, good yields all over the country, more supply, you know, and, and we have more carryout, you know, the, the, uh, the problem just keeps going on down the road. Well, Secretary Purdue keeps telling people that the administration will take care of farmers through this. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, do you have some idea what that might be, and is uh, how much uh, stock are you putting into that? Well, you know, I, I don't know exactly what, what they have in mind, you know, that. You know, we, we certainly want trade, not aid. You know, farmers really want to get their money from the market, and, and I don't, I don't know if there can be a, a plan out there that would even be feasible for as much as we're losing in the trade market right now with with the tariffs that are going on. It would be it would be very difficult to uh, quantify that and get get the numbers out to everyone who is, you know, uh, you know, trying to trying to sell their commodities right now. And I guess adding insult to injury, 
you're not getting much help from EPA when it comes to the RFS. No, we're we're certainly not. You know, we're you know we're we're certainly happy with the EPA for some of our some of our, our things that they've loosened some of our restrictions on on some things. But we're certainly, as far as the uh, EPA and the renewable fuel standard goes, you know, we're we're very disappointed. There was a you know an easy fix for part of this. We had the reed vapor pressure, a one pound waiver for you know uh, gasoline blends over 10% ethanol. You know, that could have been, we're in that season right now from June 1st to September 15th where any any uh, blend of gasoline over E10 can can only be sold uh, to a flex fuel vehicle. That takes a lot of ethanol out of the market for this time of year. We believe that would be an easy fix. We also have the, uh, the uh, small refinery waivers. You know, it just, it just seems like there's, no, no stopping what EPA is doing to create demand destruction in the ethanol industry, which, of course, you know, is so, tied so closely to corn ethanol. So, you know, we, we just think that they, uh, they, they need to add some transparency to this, tell us why they're granting these waivers when we don't believe there's been economic harm to some of these small refineries. We're, uh, we're in a lawsuit right now to try and, try and get some clarity for that. So we'd, we'd like to have some of those answers, and we'd just like to... Uh, Mr. Pruitt to quit just doing the blanket uh, blanket small refinery waivers. That would help a lot. But the fact that it's gone on this long, and even though the president keeps saying he supports the RFS, he's allowing it to happen, does that make you wonder if he's just going to let uh, Scott Pruitt go on his own on this? I mean, so far he hasn't stepped in evidently and said stop. Well, that's that's certainly a good question. In the, in the meetings, that have been taking place at the White House, and and I want to mention right now that you know Secretary Purdue, you know Secretary of Ag Purdue has been you know great. He's been voices voicing his opinion, you know, for the side of the farmer and ethanol. He's been doing a great job for us. But we we just wonder when we, when we knew that Secretary uh, Administrator Pruitt came in, he said, well, you know, I'll just going to do what my boss tells me to do. And so we're kind of wondering what's going on right now because we have an easy fix. For part of the demand that we need, they haven't done, but yet uh, on the demand destruction side, they just keep going right ahead. And, and we're just, you know, very disappointed also that the rule that came out last week, we're, you know, we're happy with the, you know, 15 billion gallons of, of corn ethanol that was listed, but they they were talking about the small refiners, and they're not allowing any comments during that period, so we can't even send in comments telling them what, what a bad... Uh, what a bad deal these small refinery waivers are and and that that seems a a bit strange that we can't comment on that a lot of issues a lot of challenges kevin thank you for being with us mike thanks for your time i appreciate being on this morning take care kevin schoonis president of the national corn growers association we'll talk markets next with steve nicholson with robo research on adams on agriculture All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. 
No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water in incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, talking markets, not the most uh, enjoyable thing these days, but uh, let's do it anyway with Steve Nicholson, Vice President, Bravo Research Food and Agribusiness Grains and Oilseeds. Steve, thanks for joining us. Numbers out from USDA on Friday. What was your takeaway? Yeah, it, good morning, Mike. Thank you. Yes, it may not be the most pleasant discussion we need that we have, but we need to have the discussion. Um, you know, my first was not a real big surprise, I think, as far as looking at particularly corn acres, because that's what I was focused on. Is that number really going to be $89 million or is it going to be $88 million? And I think, you know, US, the, the trade seemed to have that one right uh, when you look at where they were trading before the report and how prices were, and so they got that right. I think the surprise for me and the takeaway was how big, when you looked at the number of principal acres that increased versus, you know, a, you know the March numbers, and then you looked also, if you looked just at, you know, feed grains, uh, food grains, which is, you know, the, the corns, wheats, and oil seeds, and then look at cotton, and that big increase as well. And that just was, we did find a lot of acres in this report. And, you know, the surprising thing then after the report was that the market, you know, responded positively to that in the sense of went up. And you're like, okay, that doesn't make sense. Now, we're not seeing that this morning, uh, but, you know, we could talk about that too as to what, what why is the market responding the way it is. Yeah. So we have those numbers. Uh, yep. We we have a pretty good idea in in many parts of the country where we're at crop wise right now. We right. know there's some concerns, but we know there's some very good crops too. Uh, yes, and then you have all this trade news and the tariffs kind of hanging over the markets. So what is the market driver right now? Well, you know, I think you've mentioned the two biggies. Uh, you know, I think the weather is the primary driver. You know, we're in the middle of the growing season. Um, you see. You travel like I travel, and it's hard to find a spot where it just looks really horrible. Um, so we have really good weather. Uh, it has is going to be hot this week, um, but we do have had good moisture. And you know, as long as you keep getting moisture, that crop's going to survive. But I think the other thing is, and probably the more important thing in the sense of the trade situation, and we can that's you know that's a that's probably a whole show. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, this is hanging like you said over the market. It's an uncertainty in the market, and so what it's creating is this uncertainty and is going to create a lot more volatility so you may have you may be down the dumps one day but the next day you may be you may be euphoric because of just that's what we're kind of dealing with here and we haven't seen this sort of volatility in the market for two or three years and so we kind of have to kind of relearn you know that you know that is that is part of the nature of a market and that's what we're going to need to expect and be you know be aware of and you know for those of who those you know producers who have uh crops still to move whether it's to move old crop or whether it's to price new crop, you may get an opportunity 
we will get an we may get an opportunity uh, as this thing pops back up to you know sell some things you know sell some things at better prices than they are right now on the board. So the volatility, as much as sometimes we may we may curse it, uh, it is also an opportunity to get some things sold at a higher price. And so that's what this trade brings to the marketplace right now. But Steve, if you keep if we keep going lower, even if it comes up, it's still it's pretty low then because we dropped down so much. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, and it has dropped down, and that's one of the things that's been a little surprising to me before this report, and as we and as we always talk about this July fourth time period is a mar- is a time when the market kind of like we're just doing now, kind of taking stock. Where do we go? You know, has the has the crop emerged? Does it look good? Have we had good weather to now? What is the weather going forward? We have the acreage numbers now, so you know it gives it gives the market assessment to go forward. And generally, I would say when you look at that, the market's saying, "Oh, things look pretty good. We probably need to it probably is the portender for lower prices going forward." But as you just sort of mentioned, is we came into this report at you know near or at contract lows for the new crop new crop contracts, and it kind of gives you scratching your head like, "Oh boy, this looks really bad going forward." And, and I could make a case for that, and I hate to do the economist thing, on, but on the other hand, have we got to a point where we're maybe we're putting a low in early this year, and as we go down the road, the market's going to come back a little bit. You know, we do have, we're going to, the acreage report is going to be adequate in the sense it gives us a cushion, but, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't bode well that prices are going to have a lot of upside potential when you have, you know, 89 million acres of corn, 89 million acres of beans, um, and really good crop conditions out there right now. Well, one kind of a silver lining, usually to low yep. prices, is that you kind of attract buyers. But we're we're fighting with so many of the markets that we deal <laughs> with, we may be running out of people that uh, you know that'll step up and and buy. That's right. I mean, it, it's it is a and I'll just I'll just kind of put it out there. It is a frustration, exactly what she says. We're fighting with all of our good buyers. We're fighting with China. We're fighting with Mexico. And we're fighting with Canada. Those are our three big buyers of you know the major commodities you know that we produce in the United States. And you're just kind of shaking your head, go, golly, this is just not what we need to do right now. But having said that, again, on the other hand, if you get commodity prices in the U.S. so cheap, buyers will have buyers will be attracted to those prices as they get lower. You know, you look at these corn now at two six three sixty three. That's getting really, you know, that's getting a pretty cheap price for corn. Someone buyer in the world is going to go, wow, I need to, I need to jump on that and take ownership on that. So, it will, it is going to attract buyers at some point. But you're right, we're finding a lot of people in this. You know, this is not a good time to be doing that when you're, when you have very low prices. But, you know, as we always say, low prices, you know, correct low prices, and they also attract buyers. And buyers will figure this out. Um, the Chinese are going to figure this out because they don't want to pay up for prices for beans. And that's kind of what they're doing themselves. They're running the price up on themselves. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're going well, to they're gonna have to buy from somebody, right? That's right. And and if you look back in April when they when this first when this first started the Chinese, you saw stiff Gulf numbers, basis numbers really pop up. You know, on anticipation mm-hmm. that you know they're going to be front. And we did see. Well, I think we believe we saw some front loading of beans. But at the same time, if, if beans get really cheap in the United States, let's just kind of play this out. The, the buyer's going to go, and Chinese buyer's going to look at that and go, I can't afford to buy Brazilian beans, I'm going to buy U.S. beans. Think of the great channel of beef that goes to, U.S. beef goes to China through Vietnam or Hong Kong. Those beans are going to find their way to China one way or the other, and it may not necessarily be direct from the U.S. to China. It may be through some other port before it gets to China. 
cheap beans, like you said right up front in your question, you know, cheap beans or cheap corn are going to attract buyers one way or the other. That's interesting. Yeah, that euphoria that we had about China buying all that extra, that that seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, and, and that's right. And, and you know, one of the things that's really interesting is what you said. I mean, it's just sort of fatigue over the, the, the yep. sway in the market one way or the other, whether it's because of a trade down. or because of a farm bill or because of a weather. Yep. It's just, you know, it's really exhausting day to day to day. And All right. It, Steve, thanks. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk with you. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Mike. Steve Nicholson with Robo Research. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.